There is a signal broadcast every second of every day through our television sets. Even when the set is turned off, look around the environment we live in. Carbon dioxide, fluorocarbons, and methane have increased since 1958. Earth is being acclimatized. They are turning our atmosphere into their atmosphere. We are like a natural resource to them. Deplete the planet, move on to another. They want benign indifference. They want us drugged. We could be pets. We could be food. But all we really are is livestock. Welcome to Screen Run. I'm your host, the Lady One, and I'm here with ASMR Chris Galzo. <laughs> Screen Run is the show where Chris and I explore the films of a particular artist or franchise, and in season three, we're discussing the films of John Carpenter. <laughs> Today, I wish everyone could see this. Today, we're talking about 1988's They Live. And joining us is another returning guest. You know him from Crooked Table Productions with his podcast, Franchise Detours and Close Watch. It's Robert Yanis Jr. Hello, Robert. Hello. Thank you for having me, guys. <laughs> happy to be back. Yes. You're welcome. We're so happy you're here. <laughs> oh, Is this going to go on the whole time? Sweaty meatballs. <laughs> now, I'll probably oh, stop dear. at some point. Oh, okay. Oh, there it goes. Okay. I'll slip in and out. Go ahead. Great. Keep keep me on my toes, please. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. So, Robert, you're joining us back again. You were you were here last season for Alien vs. Predator. <laughs> yes, I was. It could have been worse. I could have been here for Requiem. Yeah. So. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Pump the brakes. <laughs> you know I love my AVP, so yeah, I agree. I again, if you skip season two, and I don't know what the hell's wrong with you, but if you did, I do enjoy requiem but it has to be the director's cut it cannot be the theatrical version which i robert would be correct is is dookie or (laughs) is kaka that's what i should have a clip on here of how do you not have kaka always queued up it's my it's my fault i would i actually did have it at one point and then i think i when i was rebooting for tonight I uh, had accidentally removed it. This is Kaka. So there you go. That's how good I am. It's so wonderful. Robert. Yes, Chris. What is your history with John Carpenter's They Live? Or are we supposed to talk about his show first? What do you want me to do? I don't care. I'm very unprofessional. (laughs) Robert, what do you do on your show? I know it's something about franchise detours and you talk about movies. Because one thing I know is that there are not enough movie podcasts. So I appreciate you filling the void. Thank what you. do you talk That's about what I'm here for. on your show? Because one thing I know is your shows are not. This is caca. They're not caca. <laughs> That's thank you. Um, <laughs> it's the best compliment I've received all day. You're welcome, Chris. Um, so no, on uh, on Close Watch, we get to know our guests through the movies they love. Uh, this year, we're focusing specifically on movie musicals. The Lady One is on the most recent Ooh. one, yeah. uh, talking about In the Heights, which is oh. a criminally underseen movie from a couple years ago it's okay that, it's great yeah i know well, chris was like musicals and first thing that my one of my favorite films is singing in the rain are you going old school or is it all modern stuff because you're a little bit of both i've uh we already covered singing in the rain on what was now what used to be the crooked table podcast the yep. same feed 
And uh, I also have a, a, an episode in the queue for An American in Paris. That'll be the next one okay, after In the Heights. So we're trying to trying to throw some in there. We started with Little Shop of Horrors from 1986. Oh, nice. Trying to, trying to get a nice blend of old school Hollywood musicals and the more modern ones. Uh, and so that's, that's that show. And then on Franchise Detours... We believe no movie series travels in a straight line, and so I'm <laughs> knee deep. I'm up to my waist in Planet of the Apes at the moment. Uh, recorded three like the 60s, of the nine old school, ones? all of them. Oh, all you're going them. all the way down. We're doing all nine, all right. 1968 to 2017. Wow. Uh, so what a journey that that has been <laughs> thus far. I have some bad news for you because some of those films, caca, are, they're caca. <laughs> uh, did Juan join you? Are you? I'm assuming you're doing La, La Land with Juan or no? Well, we, we that did, was that, yeah. we did that many like about, years ago. A while back, a right. <laughs> couple years ago, yeah. yeah. That is like one of your, if not your favorite film, right? It is. It is my definitive favorite film, and I think on that episode, I said I love it probably a hundred times, and mm. on my In the Heights episode, I think I said I love it probably fifty times. So probably. I, I just thereabouts. I'm, I'm hella enthusiastic. <laughs> there, you, you brought a little more insight than that. Let's not sell it short. I, like, I think I we had a we had a good conversation. It was a good analysis, peppered in with me being like, "Oh, I love it." Yeah, geeking <laughs> out, missing. Yeah, yeah. And I want to just make my vote clear that I am really excited if you're going to try and bring back Hella because I think that would be <laughs> honestly, Chris. I do. I say Hella, Hella often. That is awesome. <laughs> I don't think it's over. It's not over for me. So that's great. So all right. So we we've covered your show, and yes. I'm disappointed by the lack of a hat. But that's we can we're going to move past that. <laughs> I've met Robert in person a couple times. I've been very fortunate to do that. This is one stylish mother effer, as Prince would say. Actually, he would say sexy mother effer is what he would say. But your history. I'll take that too. You're welcome. I'm serious. Your sis, your history with they live and the yes. uh, ovra of one uh, Mr. John Carpenter. So my history with John Carpenter is kind of a little bit of the combination of the two of you. Like like Ooh. the Lady Juan, I think I saw a few of them, the the probably the big four early on in yep. my life, like in my teens and twenties. They the, the, the you know, the thing and Halloween and uh Escape from New York, things like that. So every once in a while, I feel like every few years I'll just check in and watch and watch a few more i still haven't seen all of his stuff but yeah last round like a few years ago on my show <laughs> i did cover Starman, and then i was like you know what i should go back and watch some of his stuff and i saw this and i saw assault on precinct 13 and i i saw escape from la and i kind of caught up on a few more uh so that was when i saw this for the first time was just a few Ooh. years ago and uh i got the shout factory uh, Blu-ray on this yep. and, and a couple of the other ones. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, yeah, so watching it for this episode, I think was like maybe the third time I'd seen it. And as a fan of, you know, The Matrix is one of my favorite movies. Anything that's like the conspiracy, the man, like all of this, like control, all that stuff. I love all that stuff. And and I think the the cool thing about John Carpenter, which is I think something you guys are, are really getting to in a lot of your episodes is that he takes B-movie concepts, but then he just elevates them. He brings more substance to it that in lesser hands, they would have been like, you know, fun watches, but yeah. <laughs> much more disposable. But because John Carpenter puts his own spin on things, like every one of his films, at least up to this point, every one of his films <laughs> has a very clear perspective and a, a very clear uh, vision behind it. And I think They Live is, is definitely one of those. Mm-hmm. 
Very well good. Well said. Chris, what is uh, your history with this film? Um, just when another one. Yeah, yeah, another one from my youth. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent. I saw it in the theater. I cannot. Oh. I, I'm pretty confident I did. I would have been. Um, how old am I? Well, maybe not. Eighty-eight. I was twelve. So there is a good chance I did not see it in the theater. Um, mm. But I did eventually catch up that likely in the, from the video store, Carl's Video in Meriden on oh. Main Street there, just to date myself a little bit. And <laughs> I've always really, really enjoyed They Live. Uh, I like the, uh, it's it's got a great kind of throwback kind of 50s feel to it, alien invasion, kind of who can you trust, paranoia. Back then it was the, you know, the big red scare. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, uh, I've been a longtime fan of this film and I was very excited to revisit it, see how it holds up. I'm really curious what Robert's going to say too about this because I think some of Carpenter's films can f- has the, have the danger of feeling dated, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you have something that is so, I think, ingrained in the 80s culture at the time as They Live is. And we'll talk about the themes of this film because I think mm. pro- the, the big problem with that is that all those themes are still re- prevalent today and perhaps even worse. So we'll get into all that. And I want to, yeah. I want to, I feel bad for Juan because she's going to be editing this show. <laughs> yes. And I am terrified that mm-hmm. I am going to go off on some big political jag on this because there's so much in this film. Carpenter, this is his <laughs> most overtly political film. He has a mm-hmm, lot absolutely. to say in this movie. Hell yeah. And, and unfortunately, as I said, it's more relevant today than it even it was in 1988. So um, we'll see. I'm going to temper myself as much as I can, but we'll see how it goes. If you go off and can't be reined in, uh, I will just edit it so that it sounds like the Oscars music when they're trying to wrap up a speech, and I'll just fade you out, and we'll just move on. <laughs> so that's really put good. in a jingle. Put in a jingle and be like, "Screen Run is currently experiencing technical difficulties. <laughs> Come back." And we're like, "Yeah." Anyway, great point, Chris. There you go. <laughs> Smart. Just for my background here, I saw this movie two days ago. I had never seen it before. Ooh. So two uh, freshies there. All right. Very, very fresh to it. And honestly, I mean, we'll get into it, but I can't believe I didn't know what this movie was about. Like, I truly had no idea, not even an inkling of what it was about. I was like, that's a weird name for a movie. And obviously, I knew the iconic line. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubble. This film is famous for two things, basically, I think. I mean, like like culturally relevant or prevalent that that is that is superseded, I think, viewership of the film is that line. Yes. And then I'm sure we'll talk about it, the greatest fight scene in the history of cinema. We will. We will. Even this is like so embarrassing for me. I didn't know that there was a famous fight in this movie. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Oh yeah. I was I was truly going in going in blind. Robert, were you aware of the fight scene in this film or no? Because it kind of I don't think I was. Culturally, no, I knew I knew there, there was like something South about the sunglasses and once. yeah, yeah. And, uh, I know okay. I know it's been I know it is a famous homage and that it has also received homage, but somehow that information was kept apart from. Oh myself. goodness, I can't wait. So, then. This is going to be yeah. fun for me. <laughs> yeah. So let me just real quick get into a little bit of the history of how this movie came to be, and then we'll pull it apart. (laughs) So this film is written 
by John Carpenter, but under the pseudonym Frank Armitage. It is based on a story called Eight O'Clock in the Morning by Ray Nelson, which appeared in a November 1963 issue of Fantasy and Science Fiction magazine. Um, it's just a short story in there, so it's really like the nugget, like the core of our plot, but Carpenter expanded it quite a bit. Um, they also made a, a kind of a follow-up comic to the short story before this, which some of the, some of the film takes from, but... The general premise of the short story is uh, society is asleep. They're being ruled by alien overlords. And the main character in the story is named George Nada. In the film, it's John Nada, but you never actually know his name. You only see it in the credits. And again, Nada means nothing. So that's our main character in the story. The alien, the alien overlords in the story are called the Fascinators and are described as having green reptilian flesh and yellow eyes. And multiple sets of eyes, too. Yeah, like, yeah. Real, real gross things. So that was kind of the, the original story that it's based off of. Um, Carpenter considered having Kurt Russell in the lead role, but thought it would be better to go with someone, a new collaborator, less known, to kind of give something fresh to the story. And he was a big old wrestling fan and was interested in Rowdy Roddy Piper for the role, who did not know who John Carpenter was. So that is cool of Mr. Piper. <laughs> um, Carpenter also wrote the role of Frank um, in particular in this story, who's sort of our second banana kind of guy uh, with Keith David specifically in mind. Filming took place in L.A. over about eight weeks in March and April of 1988. The budget was around $3 million and it came out November 4th, 1988 and opened at number one. Hey, country. He did it. Uh, It grossed over four million dollars through its theatrical run. And I don't know how true this is, but I read that they pushed back the release date from coming out at the end of October to better time up with Election Day to underscore the connection to the 1988 presidential election. Um, But also like Halloween four came out the week before, too. So maybe it was like a little bit of that also. So, yeah. Oh, sorry. I said it grossed four million dollars. I lied. It opened making four million dollars it grossed 14 million i was gonna say so let me fact check myself um but yeah four million dollars it's opening weekend number one it ain't caca it's not caca (laughs) that's can't argue with math nope yeah that that's how the film came to exist now we can talk about the actual movie okay (laughs) so the story of this this movie as as I mentioned, based on the short story, I don't want to describe this world as apocalyptic because mm-hmm. it's just straight up regular. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> like um, our main character is looking for a job and he says that 10 banks failed in Denver and we had two banks fail in like the last month. So this is just in the real world. <laughs> this is just what life is like. And I truly, again, as I said before, I had no idea what I was watching. So my notes included, is capitalism the villain? Spoiler alert, yes, it is. (laughs) It is. I know I sound like kind of silly right now, but I can't believe I never knew what this movie was about. Ah. How did I live in the world and never know that this film was a, like I just knew the line and I knew like I'd seen the poster 
But I was just like, I don't know, there's probably monsters, and he's wearing sunglasses because he's cool, and it's the 80s. So you, you hadn't seen the design of the creatures or anything? No, I didn't know. Cool. Well, it's yeah. in the poster, right? But, yeah. but it's, yeah, just, it it's is, a but weird it's like, sketch yeah, in, in the, the glasses. Like, you don't know. Right. It was a whole bunch of nada in my brain. I knew nice. it was not there for me. You Fair pointed. Enough. Chris. Okay. Well, no, I'm just very excited because you, oh. you said it's a whole bunch of nada in <laughs> yeah. your brain, and I was like, oh, look at you. Yeah, there you go. That's great. Puns are fun. So, yeah, no, where to begin? One of the interesting things, too, was <laughs> listening to the audio commentary, as I'm apt to do. And uh, one of the Carpenter, again, he also admits that this is his most political film. And he yeah. made it because he was just surprised and shocked how the country just fell for Reaganomics. Yeah. How you just give the rich more money and then eventually it'll trickle down to everybody else, <laughs> right? That's the best thing to do. And he was just horrified by what happened to the country uh, after that. People losing jobs. What, Reagan increased the debt by like $3 trillion? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it. all of these things, he helped destroy the unions, which is the backbone of this country, which built this country, I mean, mm-hmm. along with slavery. But it's there's so much going on in this film. But he's still a libertarian in ways, too, because he does take a small swing at unions. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when Nada shows up at the construction site and this this is a union shop and he looks over and the all the union guys are just horsing around and screwing around and not doing anything but that's as critical I think as he gets basically yeah. of the union yeah. he is really taking a bat to Reagan and yeah. uh, that whole thing and the conservative at least that that economic model absolutely so that basically that the whole, the game is rigged basically and that's what this yeah. film is entirely about. There's one time I think where there was is when he's walking on the street, or there he's or he's in the unemployment facility, and they're talking about. But there's like a background noise of how there's a computer error, so the food stamp program has been suspended, right? And that's the yeah. kind of stuff that happened even here in Florida, right? Yeah. With the unemployment yeah. system here yeah, was deliberately built to not work, <laughs> yeah, right? And then our yeah. current governor calls oh. it out. You know, he's like, listen, this was wrong. This was broken. This was made to not work to help people, right? So you know what he did? Nothing. He did nothing about it. Yeah. <laughs> nada. He, he, did he nada. said a lot. He did nada. He supposedly <laughs> threw some money at it, but nothing's changed. So yeah. because that's all it is, is all talk, right? And the whole thing, I think the big issue we have now, too, with that is the whole one of the big conceits of the film is that we are it's in here it's it's much more focused kind of right caca. You have, oh no nope, not caca it's not what i want <laughs> i want this sleep. Sleep. so there's the sleep right not just the subliminal stuff sleep. with all the boat billboards the magazines the books yeah. and everything things are worse now because the sleep part where we are so occupied a with just getting through our day Mm-hmm. Right, getting the kids mm-hmm. to soccer practice, making dinner, whatever the case may be. But now, with how everybody having phones and television and how so many channels and streaming services, everybody now is focused. You're occupied, just getting through your day and distracted, mm-hmm. while basically the society is robbed blind. And that's and I, I again, I'm yeah. talking about they live. And talk also about what's yeah. how it's even worse kind of today. And even yeah. Car- Carpenter says it in the commentary. Yeah. He says, he says the 80s never ended. It never ended. It's still here and it's actually worse than the way things mm-hmm. were then. Mm-hmm. And he's entirely right. And he handles, I'm going to stop now because I've been talking for about 35 <laughs> minutes. I want to hand it off to Robert and get his perspective on this. But he captures 
that consumerism and how it kind of keeps us blinded to what's happening around us so well. And, and the artistry on how he shows all of this, it's it's fantastic. We're so much slower to react now. The pendulum has barely started to swing back again at this point, but we're just so occupied by consumerism, TV, video games, movies, this show, all serve to distract us because yes. they still live, yeah. Robert. They still live. <laughs> they do. They what do were your thoughts live. on the film and Carpenter's message? No, I love all of that stuff. That that message and that... I want to hear the Lady Wan's reaction to that whole <laughs> sequence with the song, like the initial sequence, because that yeah. that is what makes this movie work, because... Yeah. You, at the same time, you're like, yeah, they're aliens, but also like, there's so much truth to this. When they, when, when uh, the the you, you know, he sees the money with the sunglasses, and it says, "This is your god," yeah. or he sees the billboard of the the lady, uh, uh you know, the, I think she was wearing a bikini or whatever. Yeah. And it's like marry and reproduce, like all of that is so true, and and it, it, the annihilation of consciousness, like the whole all of the stuff that's going on, is. S- presented as a sort of a subculture but it's it, it, there's there's so much i don't know it's i love the social commentary of it and one thing that really struck me yeah, i guess i could just said that that's much more concise than what i said so thank you Robert. <laughs> you're welcome um one thing that struck me too watching it and i think this is also because like i said i'm watching the very cynical nihilistic uh planet of the apes franchise where it's just like humanity sucks we're just gonna destroy things over and over and over again people apes we're all doomed to make the same mistakes what struck me about this movie is that it is it isn't the people the people aren't the problem it's the system that's the problem like it's actually kind of a a a very in a way humanist message it's like Mm. if we could get past this system and these oppressors in this is obviously aliens and in, in yeah. real life it's the government or <laughs> the man or whatever the capitalistic uh framework that we're all forced to live in we could you know there are those of us who want to be free and we're able or capable of doing that if we sort of fight back so I, I i like that the message is is not that the people are the problem it's the the system is the problem and i, and I think that really stuck out to me this time yeah, and Carpenter says in the commentary clearly he doesn't mince words. He says the ghouls, which is what they were kind of referred to. He's yeah. always yeah. They're, they're, he says it. They're Republicans. Yeah, they're all Republicans. The ghouls. <laughs> yeah, and yet of course this is the, one of those movies that, like you know, like The Matrix, has been co-opted by the right, and they're like, see, it's because of the liberal media and blah blah blah. And, well, and and the the message has been like twisted. I think that there's one thing I don't like about this film. It's exactly that is that basically yeah. Nazis have co-opted the they claim the film for themselves yeah and yeah. saying that the ghouls are the jews which is i but yeah uh, sorry go ahead my notes during the first die. huh sorry i said nazi punks must die sorry go ahead oh yes no I agree um no my notes during the first sequence where he puts the sunglasses on were that this is melting my brain like i mm. was just like what the fuck this is crazy and yeah, it it was crazy to me. It was, I agree with you, Robert, that it is like, it is a criticism, but it's also like, it's not the people, It's which obviously yeah. in the real world, it is the people. But I like the idea that, you know, among many things, part of what this movie is saying is if you can just see what's wrong, then you can rise up against it. And that it's that people aren't seeing it. We're complacent because... We don't mm-hmm. know what's going on. And so if you see it, then then you understand. But yes, Chris, as I said, I just saw 
had no idea what it was about, had no idea what was going to happen. Which, again, like so rare in the world to not know what's going to happen in a movie that you're watching from 30 plus years ago. So very exciting moment. So then I go into YouTube and I'm like, let's learn everything about this movie. And (laughs) damn, if it isn't the literal first video I watch that is like suggesting COVID's not real because of they live. (laughs) I'm like, what the fuck? Like how? So I was in like an afterglow of this movie for the briefest of minutes before all of a sudden I was brought down to the reality of like, no people, they either co-opt it for the exact opposite message of what Mm -hmm. it's intended to do. Or God, even worse question mark is they take John Carpenter and Roddy Piper saying, this is a documentary as literal. And they think that it actually is a documentary and there really are like alien overlords and and you know how much fucking easier it would be if that was true (laughs) instead it's worse guys it is that our our entire species is intent on destroying itself and the world we live in that's it's worse there are no aliens it's our own fault and it's our own problem and so yeah they live was a whole lot cooler to me until i found out about a lot of the people who love it and are like yeah, and that's why you can't take my guns. And I'm like, what? That's not <laughs> what I got from this. Oh, no. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> what a journey that that was. <laughs> All right. That's good. Yes. I like that. Yes. yes. There are a couple interesting things about the film that I did not pick up on Ooh. until I rewatched this. So, I did not... I Last week, we had a, a Jeff from from uh, Movies at Home on. Films and at Home. I, Films at home, thank you. And I, um, the said I was vacillating back and forth about upgrading to the 4K. Yes. Uh, this because I have the sh- the Scream Factory Blu-ray, like, like much mm-hmm. like Robert. And uh, uh, Jeff was like, "Yeah, I think I think you want to do that." So I did. <laughs> I did get it, and it looks fantastic. I will just uh, a brief because it's going to jump into what I want to say. But mm-hmm. I think the picture, I think the the color palette may be a little darker. I think in the 4K, but it's much clearer. There's a wider spectrum of colors. Like in the beginning of the film, too, mm. it's raining when he's walking when the train passes him. I never noticed that before that it was raining yeah. when he did that. Yeah. And uh, I was going back and forth for about you know until the first 30 seconds, and I'm like, oh, this looks fantastic. The film has a much more kind of lifelike appearance, I think, in 4K. There's some fine grain, but it's not overpowering. And though I will say a couple mm. times the image may be a little fuzzy, but overall, I think the presentation is fantastic on this. And one other thing that I saw that I'd never noticed before, possibly because of that, is that not as married. Yeah, he's wearing I a wedding ring. I now, didn't I don't realize know if that until today. If he's yeah. widowed or what his story is, but I thought that was a really interesting perspective or added a d- dimension and depth to his character that I had never noticed before. Yeah, I I didn't notice that. I actually watched a video today and I feel bad because I can't remember what YouTube person it was who made this video, but they said that in the script, it says that his wife passed in a car accident. So he okay. is widowed and so that's like it provides a little more of his background he's not just like a completely unattached person in the world he once was attached and he's still so attached that he's wearing the ring even though she's gone so that's uh credit to some youtuber who i can't remember sorry and it's a really interesting point because if you think about it how many people how many of us are just that close to being houseless 
right? I mean, <laughs> any <terrifying>, man. <laughs> any one thing could go wrong. Yeah. There's a lot of people in this country who are uh, like a, uh, what, a medical incident, a car yes. accident, uh, losing yeah. their job away from being uh, unhoused. And it is... It's terrifying, and it's just, just like that's a big part of the film too, right? Is that Nada's in this encampment of unhoused people who are just yeah. doing the best they can yeah. to kind of survive the world that basically has moved on because they think they have nothing to contribute to society at this yeah. point. Robert, make me sound smart. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take your first draft and polish it up for you, Chris. Yeah. Um, watching it this time, part of what what struck me is that I feel like the ghouls or whatever we're calling them, their plan could only be thwarted by someone like Nada, who's off the grid, who kind of isn't attached. Like, I feel like in a way that's that's an asset for him and how, mm. why he's able to uncover this. Whereas everyone else, I mean, I don't, it's debatable who exactly the audience surrogate is in this movie. I would argue it's probably Frank because he's like, hey, I got a wife, I got kids. Like, I don't, yeah. don't want to know anything about that. Yeah. You need someone like Nada, who a simple man trying to make his way through the universe, and yeah. he's he's the one that comes across, and he's like, you know, I'm gonna let me dig into this because you know I don't have a yeah. whole lot else going on. I got nothing really to lose at this point. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so I, 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 all the attachment that Frank and everyone else has, it's either one, it's a motivation to maintain the status quo status and not quo. make waves, but on the other hand, it's also part of the distraction of why you're not seeing things because you're busy tending to the people in your life and, and everything yeah. else, kind of like what Chris was saying earlier. So that was something that really struck me now is that it's, it positions him ideally in order to be the one to sort of uncover this. Yeah, I think there's a reason why marry and reproduce is among the messages yeah. right. that the ghouls give us. It's not us as if we're in the movie, that it's not just buy and be quiet and keep working. It's marry and reproduce so that you will have to maintain this system. Because exactly. if a whole generation doesn't have kids, the whole system falls apart. So Frank, having the wife and kids that he's sending money home to, he has to maintain his part in the system. And Nada is able to take the risk to push back and find out what's going on. But conversely, I love that he is introduced to us as somebody who says, I believe in America. Like, no, yeah. this will work. The system yeah. is true. The system is right. I wasn't lied to. I just need to keep on trying. And he's got a really mm -hmm. positive attitude for somebody who is just a drifter trying to get by trying and he's just sleeping in an alley the first night that we see him but he's still like no the system will work and and they bulldoze that neighborhood in the middle of the night and that happens all the time in this country they just bolt there there is somebody who lives in the park two blocks away from my house i don't know where they went but they have been living in that park for months and just all of a sudden they were gone and i'm like uh oh like who finally got sick of it and called called the cops and now that person's been kicked out like that happens all the time you can't mm. you can't set up a tent somewhere where people can see what are we going to do with that property nothing we weren't going to do anything there it's yeah. just a, a grassy knoll with some trees it's literally for nothing but they wouldn't let somebody stay there who needs somewhere to stay so yeah. it happens man it's fuck it's depressing it feels like there's also a little bit of race commentary there too and that keith david is the one to be like yeah no that's bullshit like you're living in a a fantasy world white straight white man if you're yeah. like i'm gonna keep working and it'll all work out for me yeah it'd be like that's part of the purposefulness of having keith david in that role too is to sort of highlight the the 
inherent difference between the way that two of them are treated in the system too. I agree, yeah. except for the one thing, and I I, I give this a bit of a pass because it's 1988. Mm-hmm. Is that it's it's the white guy that shows the black man that he's being repressed. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a small thing, and even Carpenter mentions that in the in the commentary. He actually says yeah. that, and he seems like like yeah, maybe I shouldn't have quite put it out that way. But still, when I was first watching the film, I'm like, wait, why are they bulldozing this encampment? Do they think like there's a resistance there or something? And then it hit me, Juan, just like you said, no, it doesn't matter. It's just doesn't that matter. we can't matter. allow those people to be here. It's like what happened in California yes. with Culver City in L.A. Right, so um, yeah. they they basically f- would boss or drop off all the unhoused people once they crossed the line, the city line into Los Angeles out of Culver City, because L.A. would obey the law that mm-hmm. was in the state that the people can stay in public lands technically because it's taxpayers' public land. Yeah, but Culver City, they would round all the people up and drop them off there, so their area was cleaned up, and then L.A. gets the bad rap for all that. Not that there's not a problem, not that there's an issue with mental illness. There's a whole other thing we could talk about yeah. is how this country mm-hmm. treats people yep. with mental illness. Yeah. But again, that's I just want to clarify, too, that the, pro- the struggle, not problem, the struggle and challenge with talking about they live and not slipping into overtly political political messages that the film is so political. I mean, Carpenter is very straightforward about it. He does not mince words. There's like, there's this line from the commentary which I thought was really interesting. And I must point out, I believe that the 80s have never ended. They're still with us today. We've never uh, repudiated this Reaganomics idea. Everything has trickled down. They're still here. They're making more money than ever, and they're still among us. Right, and I shouldn't say that's not that's from the um, making of featurettes. It's on the Scream Factory disc. It's still here. There's yeah. nothing, nothing has changed. They still live, and which makes me think that I am not a remake kind of guy or a requel sequel kind of guy. Yeah, but if anything in Carpenter's filmography demands a reboot, requel, remake, whatever the case may be. I think it's They Live. This film is primed for some type of reboot or sequel, if anything, that he's ever done. And I'm including the Halloween franchise. I think this (laughs) is the most relevant film that could use a second viewing. I don't know how much of this movie is responsible for my mental state this week, but I was just like, God what's the point like it just (laughs) made me really depressed like i have to say it again it was watching it i was like god i wish this was true instead of the real situation yeah so like it's us like it's so it's so disheartening to watch because there is no just turning off the beam and then people will wake up and change their mind there is no shortcut the amount of time this took to construct does not compare to the amount of time it would take to deconstruct like it there this is so inherent in everything about the way that this country in particular but it's not isolated to america it's the worst here i would say but um it still happens in a lot of other places too where this is the way that things are set up and uh yeah it's just it's super depressing (laughs) let's let's do this robert is there anything yeah. you want to add to that? And then we can let's try and tie this up in a bow. And talk about the fight. Right. We can talk about the fight. <laughs> yeah, we can go. talk about some of the other stuff. Because there's a lot independent, I think, of its political themes that we can talk about about They Live. So is there anything you wanted to add to that, kind of the, to the themes of it before we move on? I think that a remake could work. I don't really, honestly, I don't really feel like it's 
necessary because I think this thing still holds up well on its own. Yeah, that's a good point. According to Wikipedia, and take with that as you will, <laughs> Matt Reeves was supposed supposed to oh. direct and write a, a, a remake, remake in like 2011. He signed on for that. And then I guess, not to tie it back to my show again, but I guess did Planet <laughs> of the Apes instead. So, uh, I, but it also says that it was going to be more of a readaptation of the source material and not uh. a straight remake of this. Yeah. So it wouldn't have as much of the political elements. And to me, you know, that's kind of mm. just like, what's the point then? Yeah. I don't know. It feels like one of those movies that just really needs to be watched more often and discussed more often rather than remade because I feel like it, other than, you know, some of the technology and things like that, like, I don't think there's anything here that needs to necessarily be updated. I think it, it, the themes all, like we were saying, it, it's all mm-hmm. as relevant, if not more so today than it was in 88. So it's like, I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know what they would really add to it. I think it, it speaks pretty clearly, you know, now that, it, you know, as much as it did then. God damn it. We you're just right. need to make sure the youth yeah. are watching it. Yep. They need yep. to, if people need to not wait until they're in their mid thirties. to see this movie. Yeah. Well, well, you're, yeah. But you're My perpetually bad. like 28. So I don't. Oh, yeah. thanks. But no, like the, the children should be required um, to watch this film. And wh- what if this was part of the curriculum? Like, how instantly would Ron DeSantis come for me? Like, so I was like, that's what <laughs> we need to do. <laughs> or, just, or a parent would just sue you. That's basically all it is. Yeah. That. That's what he hides yeah. behind. Uh, all right. Yeah. So let's talk about... I want to clarify one thing about the bubblegum line. Yes. That oh. that is entirely Roddy Piper's idea. Correct. Yep. He came up with it. And Carpenter loved it. <laughs> and it's it's my text ringtone. My text tone. <laughs> Nice. So, Juan, if you want to text me right now, I will be happy to put the volume on and you can hear it. Hold on. Uh, so I can prove that I'm not a liar. I'm gonna. Here you go. All right. Yep. Go. I'm here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. Uh, cut out. <laughs> so anyway, I was very excited that that was Roddy's, one of his contributions to the film. So, yes. um, and I want to spend a minute and talk about Roddy. Yeah. Yeah. He delivers i think a performance in this film that i didn't appreciate as a young whippersnapper watching this sucker right there is a vulnerability and a depth to his performance and i don't think that i appreciated or or, or grasped there particularly coming and knowing kind of not knowing him personally but knowing his kind of outsized personality and who he is mm-hmm. though he says in the commentary he's an introvert um but a lot of people mistake being an introvert for being shy that's not really yeah, what introverted exactly. means mm-hmm. But still, he's always still kind of been an outsized guy who's willing to speak his mind about stuff. But he talked a few times about he was he struggled with this world, this performance, and that um, he was had difficult time being vulnerable a couple times in front of the cast and crew. But that Carpenter was very helpful to him and walked him through the whole thing. But knowing what I know about him and then seeing him in this film, I'm really I was really surprised by how strong a performance that he gives in this film. I don't know. What do you guys think of Piper? Yeah, I think think you can watch a lot of movies that star a former wrestler as the main character. And I would argue that this is the one time that you wouldn't know that that's what you were watching. Mm. Every other time when you're watching John Cena or you're watching The Rock, you're like, yeah, that's that's what you're doing. But he is giving like a, the complete opposite type of performance than you would expect from a wrestling personality. Like he is like quiet and nuanced and expressive with just his eyes. Like he's not, yeah. you know, in there giving weird eyebrows and 
Like he's got some one-liners. Yeah, absolutely. If I didn't know who he was, I would have been surprised by like his background. But that was, other than the bubblegum line, the only thing I knew was that it was him in this movie. <laughs> yeah, right. I, th- I think that's true until you get to that, the, that whole sequence where he has like 12 one-liners in a row and then you're like of course he's a wrestler look at his like mama don't like tattletales yeah, and things yeah. like that like come on brother yeah, life's so a good. bitch and she's back in heat like yeah. oh there's so many great lines in this thing um but i agree with you like there's depth to his performance like he's yes. a he is a uh, obviously a credible action hero but there's also an everyman quality that he brings yeah. to it as well for and sure. i think that's you know for a role like this like we were saying for for the average person you know, supposedly who's uncovering this massive conspiracy you need to have. He needs to be relatable until he needs to kick ass. Then, yes. you know, he runs out of bubble gum. Then he has to shift <laughs> gears. So I I think, yeah, it's you got you get kind of the best of both worlds in this movie with him. And yeah, yeah I think it's he deserves to be talked about more when you're talking about, you know, everybody nowadays is like, oh, Dave Bautista, best wrestler turned actor. I'm like, I don't know. We'll see. He's got more to do. But yeah. I think Roddy Piper in this movie, like this deserves to be in the conversation for one of the most memorable ones for sure. Yeah. On my other show, we've dropped the modifier of um, former wrestler for Bautista. I've actually been so impressed with him that I've just dropped it now. I just consider him an actor. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, I, 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 well, clearly I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a particular one liner that he has that sticks out to you? To you guys? Well, it's for me. It's bubblegum. I mean, it's it's, it's, it's been it's that obvious. line has been a uh, presence in my life since I first saw the film. I mean, I've you, I've repeated it. I don't know how many times. <laughs> it's it's hard working it in to things. Right. Obviously, it doesn't naturally happen a lot. Like you know, yeah. you walk in and your wife accidentally drops a bowl or yeah. something. It's hard to you can't really dramatically enter a room and there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know that 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 can be topped. Do you have, do you have a different? favorite one robert i like i mean I, first of all i love how once he figures out what's going on and he sees all the ghouls and he just <laughs> immediately drops the pretext and he's just like you know you look like your head fell in the cheese dip back in 1957 i love yeah. that and i love the comparison where he turns to the other person the other lady i think yes. he's like you you're okay yeah. this one real fucking ugly like that <laughs> guy always gets a big chuckle from me yes. like how he just takes it head on he's not He's freaked out by it at first, and then he's like, yeah, no, this is bullshit. I don't... This yeah. person's cool. This person... Ugh, stay yeah. away. It's um, very entertaining. It's, it's great. And it's, it has a bunch of other lines, too, that are, you know, hist- I think historical. This is one of my favorites. I've got one that can see. You know, I mean, that delivery of that is really good. But I think if you want to... Um, oh, wait, wait, no. I want to talk about this oh. just briefly. Beat your feet. So when he, when he encounters the cop, right, and he says, beat your feet. <laughs> And then the cop yeah. runs away. Yeah. yeah. In the commentary, he says that the actor didn't know what that meant. So he started running in place. And then oh, Piper's no. like, no, 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 no. That means run away. So they had to redo it. But it, it's just very funny, funny to me that he hears beat your feet. So he beat just starts me. running in like, place. Just right here. Gosh. So, but the transition now. Yes. Into the greatest fight scene in the history of cinema. One of my favorite parts is another one, a line that I confess I probably do say more than the bubblegum line because Ooh. it's more readily available yeah. from Keith David from that is it's this one. You dirty motherfucker. That is when, <laughs> when Nada tries to nut punch him and he catches uh-huh. him and he says that it is just 
so perfectly delivered. It's like a chef kiss uh, of a line delivery. And I, I absolutely, and I use it all the time as much as I can. You dirty motherfucker. So, Juan, what, is, what can you tell us about the, the, about the, the not a, the fight? The fight. The fight, which again, I will say, I had no idea this film contained an iconic fight that goes on for damn near six minutes. Like my notes are like, this is this is going on for a while. <laughs> Wait, how long is this fight? <laughs> like I truly, truly had no idea. And the sounds that they're making during the fight. Um... <laughs> I'm gonna bring it down. It's gonna pull it underneath you. Go ahead. Okay. So the the it just goes on for <laughs> nearly six minutes, and there's just so much grunting, and so I just I don't want to fight you. <laughs> I don't want to fight. It's relentless. <laughs> I just, I like, I want to listen to all of the things. It feels like entirely real, mm-hmm. um, which is a ridiculous thing to say about uh, a movie fight that goes on for nearly six minutes. But between how it just kind of, Spreads out through the alley, just keeps going. That's another great one. I didn't want to be involved, and he punches him in the face. <laughs> and we still have uh, two up minutes and forty seconds to there's go. And this still, is an edited version of the clip. There's still so much more. And then afterwards, the the fact that they are both absolutely beaten to a pulp, and they're limping, and they got swollen faces, and that never happens in the movie they're always like they have like one really stylish cut and like that's it like nobody ever looks like they just got their ass beat and they both do and i think that makes it even greater than the nearly six minutes just brawling in an alley part part of it is that it keeps stopping and then going on it's just like like, because neither of them want to give up yeah uh, and then the other part of it is, it is there are moments that feel uh, that there are moments that feel improvised. Yes. Maybe not, but like when Keith David and Frank breaks the bottle to use as a weapon, and then the whole thing breaks, but like the little piece in the handle, and then and then Nada laughs at him. Like yeah. that moment, it, it felt like something that wasn't supposed to happen. That uh, that again feels spontaneous in the moment. A minute and a half to go. Still going. <laughs> Still going. Just like the rest of the podcast is like I think, the whole time. I think it was is it three days that they spent shooting this? I think so. I know they practiced it for over a month. Yeah. Just rehearsing. Yeah. And a couple points too, Roddy said to him, Listen, just just hit me. Just hit me. <laughs> well, but I guess the longer you have, the more realistic it, it can look. And I think the only yeah. carpenters, the yeah. only things he cut. Were any of the of the uh, shots that clearly were like misses and just didn't work in the scene? Outside of that, everything is there, and um, there is. Oh, I didn't. Gr- I'm gonna have to grab this um, and insert it later. Oh, I can't believe I forgot to grab this. Don't forget and then send it to me. Where he's actually, I may actually have it, but there is a scene where. He's asked in an interview, "Did you intend? Did you want to make any cuts to that?" And he goes, "Fuck no." <laughs> <laughs> oh, are, are they still going? They still oh yeah, going? we still got about uh, still... twenty-three seconds. Perfect, perfect. So, 
again, nearly six minutes is inspired by the fight in The Quiet Man with John Wayne, which goes on for nine minutes. <laughs> it's so hard to focus while it, they're yelling. It's as entertaining to listen to as it is to watch, which is incredible. Yeah. So that is that was the inspiration for the fight scene in particular. And then, boy, does this go on. And in South Park, they they have the same fight between, yep. is it Jimmy and Timmy? Probably. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I know <laughs> I Jimmy, Timmy is, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then it's, I mean, it's been referenced in a, a lot of other things, but all, all this time I didn't know what it was referencing. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't have the context out there in the world, but it is, it is spectacular. And I'm so glad I did not know a very, very long, brutal fight was coming and that it just sort of, I just got to experience it with like, it's still going. Wow. It's still going. <laughs> And it's not even the hero or the and the versus the villain. It's the hero no. and the other hero. Yeah, um, it's our hero like, and the guy who's gonna eventually help him. Just first, he has to fight for five plus minutes. Put on those glasses or start eating that trash can. Yeah. Great line. <laughs> it is so amazing. Wow. Yeah. I don't know what else to say about that fight. I just wrote uh, the fight continued with a blank page. The next page, the fight continued, and we'll figure it out later. We'll work on it. So. Jeff Amato was our stunt coordinator. I've worked with him for years. He was also every alien in the film, by the way. He was in suits. He was a woman. He was a president. Jeff Amato was the was the alien race. Jeff and Roddy and Keith were in the backyard of my then Van Nuys office with pads. It worked it out from beginning to end, and everybody contributed. We worked for a month and a half on it. Roddy told me once, the, the best fight you can have is when you rehearse it in a month and a half. It looks great, and it's all time perfect. And they were so good, they were making contact, meaning that they, the fists were hitting flesh. A lot of people said at the time, this is excessive. This fight is excessive, but I loved it. Was there ever any concern when you finished the scene in terms of shortening it? I mean, did, did anyone... Fuck no. <laughs> so there you go. Is it excessive? Yes, it is. John, yes, it's it is. excessive. Yeah. It's gloriously. It is gloriously. Yeah, exactly. It's wonderful. Keep it in and double it. That's what it's... I <laughs> All right. Obviously, we talked at length about the political commentary, criticism, meaning of the film... But another thing that Carpenter does beautifully in this is he takes a little bit of a shot at his critics, which he does it in a much cooler way than fucking yoga hosers. So <laughs> to throw it back to season one and uh, a film writer director having a problem with their critics as things are kind of going wild at the end. We can we get flashes of the ghouls on TV and and all the news they're putting out there. And the ghouls are acting as film critics discussing the works of John Carpenter and George Romero, which have just gone too far. They're overly violent. They're just obscene. And uh, we get that criticism by the ghouls within the film. Well, it's not just film critics. It's Siskel and Ebert. Is who they, it, he's, right? He's That's what I was going to say. The framing, <laughs> yeah. the hair looked very, very Siskel-y to mm -hmm. me. Yeah. yeah. For sure. It's a wonderful little moment. 
it's a nice burn on the critics for all the shit they've given him, which at this point, as we've established multiple times through this podcast, history and home video has proved John Carpenter right. Yep. But also in particular, I love that he included George Romero um, in it because I feel like, I mean, they're, they're ghouls, which... It's Night of the Living Dead. They're ghouls in that. Um, we know them as zombies now, but that's what they were then. And um, also, I feel like whenever Roddy's got the glasses on and every and he's looking at everything, the black and white is just like, it, it just immediately made me think of Night of the Living Dead mm-hmm. as well. So um, I love that he shouted out George Romero as also being unnecessarily criticized oh, absolutely. for his art. So fuck yeah. another random thing that i noticed in this movie is the swat team are using like a pke meter yeah yeah (laughs) why are they using a pke meter from ghostbusters why are they doing that what's going on there there's some really usage of things in here too like you notice in the big climactic fight scene or the shootout i guess i should say at the tv station Mm -hmm. and i don't understand why you'd keep the broadcast message for the entire world at one tv station in uh, la but that's fine whatever fine don't worry about it one chance. when they're when they're shooting their way to the tv station you'll notice that whenever they fire the guns or about half of them if not three quarters of those shootouts carpenter cuts to muzzle shots and muzzle flares mm-hmm. and then cuts back to them holding the guns and he does it like five times and yeah. i was trying to figure out well what's that about what are that? we just is that a cost saving <laughs> measure robert did yeah. you notice that at all yeah no yeah i, I don't know what that's I was like about. this is weird it's why weird. And like they flip the shot once and flip it the other way, you know, and it's just, (laughs) we just not have enough blanks, John? Is that what it is? We just trying to cut down? filmmaking? I would assume so. It's that and yeah. So (laughs) a way to save some money. I I don't know. But I noted it really jumped out at me um, when that happened. Because I think a lot of the effects in this are relatively mostly strong. I think mm-hmm. we, we have a couple missed opportunities. It's like when Piper shoots the little spy device kind of in the mm-hmm. first third of the film right. and the debris falls on him. There's really nothing that falls, even though no. the corresponding prior shot was like he should almost get like knocked out by I stuff noticed falling. That. Yeah. It's like just cut away, shoot, cut back, no He's fallout fine. whatsoever. He's like, yeah. Yeah, but I would I'll say the scenes though when he first puts on the glasses and takes them off. So that's all matte painting work. And I yeah. think that stuff is gorgeous. I'm a big fan so of matte cool. paintings. Yeah, it's amazing. And I think that looks fantastic. Yeah. So you you guys agree? What about any other effects oh, things or any thoughts? I thought it all looked great. I mean, I I did find the ghouls to be a bit jarring in color. Somehow mm. I was like, oh, I thought they looked scarier in black and white. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Putting them in color and showing them in the real world in contrast with the rest of things it just made them a little bit less scary to me like the being blue and purple like you can see the seams in the in the in the yeah uh, the, the prosthetics a little bit yeah but for yeah. everything just to be completely black and white and they just have these huge eyes and no lips and just like bared teeth it was just i found them to be a lot scarier to look at in the black and white oh interesting yeah no, i agree with that but but you know effects are easier to do in but the design of them yeah. the design of them is is amazing and oh, yeah it totally holds gosh. up yeah super creepy plus you get the 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 fun of at the end the whole sequence of them in the real world that final the final moment with the where the the woman's having sex with the, the ghoul and he's like what's yeah. wrong baby yeah oh so good like that's the thing he knows how to have a 
tell a a genre story mm-hmm. have it be meaningful but also have it still have those fun moments where you're like of course you know he's gonna go there with it because that's yes. how that's how good old johnny c does things yes he really he really goes for it in every every possible way so i know we talk about the reoccurring cast stuff oh yes did you want there's something interesting about this did you want to jump into that real fast yeah yeah so um i I only wrote down three returning players. We have Keith David, as I mentioned before, yeah. uh, who he was, his first film role was in The Thing, and John Carpenter wrote this role specifically with Keith David in mind. Buck Flower is back again. He was in Escape from New York and Starman. Uh, mm-hmm. He's our drifter who then somehow manages to become part of the 1% <laughs> gets to hang out with the ghouls. And then Peter Jason, who is back from Prince of Darkness. Am I missing anybody? So, yeah, I am Ooh. almost 100% positive about this. And the problem is I am blanking on the cat's name. And I apologize. But you know one of our main guys, this guy. Kaka! That guy. Lomax from Prince of Darkness. Lomax, thank you. He is in the <gasps> meeting when they all meet at like the factory or warehouse thing at the oh. end, near the end. He's like behind somebody. In, he's in the crowd like holding a clipboard. Or something like that. I'm like, oh, that's the caca guy. Caca. But you know, Wikipedia does not have him there as uh, as a reoccurring actor thing. So, but I I I immediately did the Leonardo DiCaprio pointing. You know, once upon a time in Hollywood (laughs) thing. I went caca. Pointed at the TV. Well, assuming that's him, we will add Ken Wright to the list. All right, we'll have to update the Wikipedia thing too there. uh, (laughs) Yeah, edit that thing. There you go. Is it time to? To enter the score corner? Yeah. Do you want to stick? Do you want to talk about, since we're talking about actors first, do you want to say anything about Keith David and Meg Foster at all? Or uh... No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I okay. forgot about the lady in this movie. I was going to say, Meg Foster, it's, the I think it says lady. a lot that we haven't really brought her up much because that character is kind of a nothing. Really, yeah. A she's a nada. Oh. She, uh, She's not trustworthy, man. I was like, immediately, I was like, I don't trust that lady. She's got scary <laughs> eyes. That lady, she is heartless. And then she just pushes him out a window. So she has very weak windows. Clearly not up to code. When I watched this for the first time a few years ago, I was like, is that Evil Lynn from Masters of the Universe, the 1987 oh. movie, which I grew up with? I was like, yeah. don't trust Evil Lynn. Look, and, and her eyes look like that in that movie. Yeah. And I always assumed it was contacts or something. It's like, no, that's no, her eyes. She's got real evil so, eyes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the only thing I'll Watch say about that, though, I think, is that one of the things I love about this film is how nihilistic it is and how Keith David, his character, meets his fate. It's such a great, small, quick little moment, but it, it I think it is so... It's just one of the more gut, bigger gut punches in the film yeah. right up there with the reveal of the ghouls. I mean, that yeah. moment when it's just... It's like, I'm like, holy shit, you know, and it... It still worked on me today, you know, rewatching mm-hmm. it for the show. Yeah, I actually, I rewound. Like, as it starts to happen, and then we, like, cut to the next scene, and then we keep going, I'm like, she could, she's not going to kill Keith David. <laughs> I was like, rewind. I'm like, did I really <laughs> just see that? Because I'm, like, watching it. I'm like, no, it just happened so fast. But, yeah, that's it's yeah. cold. She also doesn't, her face is right up there against his. Like, reasonably in that next scene, she would be absolutely covered in blood. Yeah. <laughs> if she were to shoot somebody at point. It's all about, like it's all about angles. Yeah. She, had to, yeah, yeah. she had to angle it just right, I guess. But yeah, right. no, she pulls the gun 
with cuts to the next scene we hear the gunshot and that's like yeah. all you get it's that's yeah it. so quick again it he's out of blanks so i think is what the issue is so yeah exactly. <laughs> do you think holly is bent from the very beginning or does she become corrupted like buck flowers character and, the, and i still don't understand why what like buck flowers like provides the aliens in his role as a drifter like what does he give them unclear Unclear. No, I think outside she was... of this exposition for us, basically. Yeah, that that was okay. it. the The ghouls needed somebody to explain what was going on to us, in and then the, how any of us can fall for tunnels. it, I guess, type of thing. Any of us can be corrupted, type of thing. But is Holly yeah. in on it from the beginning, or does she get corrupted? What do you guys? Think? I think she's in on it from the beginning. She's living in too. a real nice house. She works at the TV station, and we we see from the TV station like siege that not everybody who works at the station knows. So mm-hmm. as like the system starting to go down, the beams going down, people are starting to realize like, wait a second, this is happening. And I think they know as well, Nada and Frank, as they're like storming their way through to go shut down the system, there are some people that Nada is being awfully polite to about like, excuse me, where's the elevator? Thank you so much. <laughs> like he's being very nice and he's not interested in hurting anybody who is also being oppressed by the system and that's that's something that he says earlier in the film when frank's like but you killed people and he's like not people like i didn't kill any people republicans um (laughs) sorry (laughs) sorry i made it political Um, again sorry so so yeah i think i think holly was one of the the one percenters who was probably going to fancy fancy subterranean dinners with the ghouls and was rewarded for her service to them with a really cushy life and a nice house in the Hollywood Hills. And she worked for them at the TV station. She was one of the people who knew what was going on and that she was part of the system to, to hold it up. And she real, real shady. I don't like what she did. So you're, boys. you're on board with Juan, Robert. You think yeah. She's yeah. I think so. I mean, we don't know where her allegiance is initially and then and he you know she he pushes her out the window or she pushes him out the window <laughs> yeah. which is a great like stunt a piece That's of stunt work too which is amazing <laughs> um and then she just double agents it basically yeah. like yeah. there's no there's at no point do i feel like she was actually on their side it's all part of leading them into this trap and everything and i think yeah i yeah she's she's no good look at those eyes she's shifting yeah and even when when she says to him at the moment we're supposed to think like she's come around now that she's found out about what's going on when she's mm-hmm. like i mm-hmm. thought i killed you she doesn't seem like so <laughs> you know like she's like damn it next like time. Oh, I'll try again. i killed you <laughs> sort of like <laughs> more sad that it didn't work versus yeah. sad that she had been worried that she killed a man because like if she thought she killed someone she's just like going about her life like just having a good old time going to meetings um no like, I think she was there specifically to bring it down, to find out what they were going to do. And, you know, immediately the meeting gets blown up. Like, yeah, somebody yeah. somebody ratted them out. So I don't know why. I mean, I do. It's because she's a pretty lady. But I don't know why he wouldn't suspect her. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> she pushed you out a window. <laughs> like, so I guess in the uh, commentary, he she hit him like th- two or three times because the bottle wouldn't break in the head and it wouldn't, oh, wow. it wouldn't break. Eventually it did, but yeah. And they said that was the most dangerous stunt in the film because they actually somebody does go out a window yeah. and falls. Like Granted, far. into like a, one of those big cushiony things, but still, but still, but still yeah. you could miss. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a it's a very cool stunt. It looks awesome. 
How do we feel about the the big reveal that they're acclimatizing the earth to take over the planet Dude. and that we're livestock and the whole the technology that they use one they upgrade from sunglasses to contacts which I was like oh I missed the sunglasses I know I like the and chains. then uh, yeah exactly and then two <laughs> we they get that like teleportation thing where they open a portal <laughs> and end up on like this like you know essentially yeah. the, you know the drifter calls it like a big airport. Where they just yeah. transport transfer people back and forth and essentially beam them from world to from world to world. How do we feel about yeah. that as a reveal and also I guess the effects of that too? I loved when they said that they've been slowly like <laughs> trashing our planet because it's better for them. I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, that is again another like, man, I wish that was true. Instead we're yeah. just ruining it for <laughs> For money, <laughs> like. That's what do you think? What yeah. What do you think? Doing? Musk wants to go to moon, go to the moon, or go to Mars? Yeah. Because yeah. he, he's trashing the place, man. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Oh God, it's don't look up. Yeah, but <laughs> I I loved that. I thought that was a really cool touch, especially you know back in '88 to be talking about that too. Because mm-hmm. um, I feel like I spent a lot of my elementary school years in the in the early '90s learning about the hole in the ozone layer and yeah. <laughs> learning about pollution. So it's cool that that was like immediately included in an, another reason why this bad thing is happening. Like it's taking a combination of things that people in in real life that was happening, but also within the context of the film that were acknowledged. So it's not that everything is a big secret structure to keep you down. It's like, no, you know about economic inequality. You know about pollution. You know about what that's doing to You know about so many of these things, but what you don't know is why. And and I think that makes it even more impactful to acknowledge things that enfold real things into the scenario in the film. Yeah. The teleportation looked a little bit sus. It <laughs> <laughs> could have looked a little bit better, but, you know, we're doing this on the cheap, so exactly. I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it at all. Yeah. No, it's a uh, cool idea to throw in there. Yeah, I, I would echo uh, Juan's comments. I think it was pretty, another example of that. Yeah, and it was interesting conceptually to, to say that, yeah, that's what's going on. They're just, what is it, what do they call that? Terraforming the earth yeah. for everything. So yeah. They can strip it of its resources and then move on to the next planet. Maybe so. Yeah, yeah. No, good yeah. stuff. And I didn't mind the effects so much. It was a little cheesy, but I still uh, I enjoyed it. <laughs> There's a couple moments of I think dated yeah. effects, but yeah, mostly I think I think we're all on board that it's it holds yeah. up pretty well. And I like that there was a yeah. uh, somebody. I think they during that big meeting of all the ghouls uh, where they're like, oh, you know, by 2025, the whole will you know will have you know overtaken the world or whatever their big yeah. thing is. I'm like. <laughs> Getting pretty close to that, yeah, guys. Like, like oh, we're getting, damn. yeah, it's right around the corner. I don't know how prophetic this movie really is, but I'm not liking the way we're heading at yeah. this point. I'll be here any minute. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. So you want you want your score corner now? Is score that the, corner. Uh, the fans are clamoring for. Yes. Let's talk about some synth. That's right. So basically, I kind of look at it as a cowboy bebop type of a thing. Yes. So it's got a very Western kind of feel to it through the totally. synths, but there's also some jazz undertones yeah. for this. Then, and I've always kind of really liked it. It's 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 very evocative of like there's a lot of walking in the film, and mm-hmm. I think the music kind of perfectly fits it. And just like all of Carpenter's scores, they're integral or integral, depending on how cool you are, uh, to 
the action into the to the voice of the movie. It's a lot of his scores almost become like additional characters, and it's really funny with movies and scores because either there are some movies are okay without a score, but a good score can elevate your film, and a bad one can ruin it. Yes. And uh, he's somehow always able to find that perfect balance working with Alan Howarth. A lot of times he has like general rough sketches and ideas and moods. And then Howarth will kind of add some incidental ambient stuff on top of that. But it's usually always Carpenter coming in with the with the, the bass or the score, you know, the synth, whatever the case may be. And I think it's another great example of it. So I've always really enjoyed the Veil of Soundtrack. It's not upper echelon Carpenter for me. But it's right in that top of that mid-tier. So, um, yeah, no, I think it really helps establish it. And it has that adds to the kind of 50s sci-fi vibe that he's really going for. And Carpenter even like a couple times frames uh, Nada in almost a John Wayne kind of way a lot. He leans Mm -hmm. into that a lot. There's a lot of John Ford and John Wayne um, visuals in this. I think he even gets him in a searcher's doorway at one point as well. So uh, yeah, I I've, I always enjoy the They Live score. It's a, it's a solid yeah. one for sure. It's yeah. pretty cool. It's like the perfect meshing together of like a Western score, but eighties. Yeah, <laughs> I think, and I think because of that, it it works in the film. But it's also like a pretty decent one to just put on mm-hmm. while you're while you're writing or working or whatever on the computer. Like it has that. It's impactful enough in the movie, but it also has that like ambient vibe to it where you can just kind of, yeah, vibe and zone out yeah. to it a little too. It's good to play while you continue to hold up the economic system that's oppressing us all. <laughs> yeah. While you, <laughs> while, yeah. While you continue to consume and sleep and uh, all that obey. other good stuff. Yeah, obey. There you go. Oh, there's one other thing too I wanted to add. So Ooh, are you guys yes. familiar with Craig Oldham? Nope. Nope. So he does kind of like these interesting designer kind of books. And I just recently got his Shining book, which mm. The Shining's one of my favorite films. Um, that and um, The Thing basically go back mm. and forth as my favorite horror film. And mm. I'm not sure about the concept of The Shining because it's basically, if you're familiar with the film, it's like a, it's basically a box, right, of paper because you know when he's typing up his, his novel. Yeah. So it's not really bound. It's just each page is a slip of pa- piece of paper that you kind of turn over and read kind of the next thing. And a chunk of it is oh. the uh, all work and no play makes Jack a oh, dull wow. boy. That stresses but, me out. Yeah, that's good. But he did, and I'll do a picture of this on our Twitter mm. page when we drop that's this beautiful. show. He actually created <gasps> um, uh, oh, a, wow. a They Live oh, book. Oh, that's dope. On our app. And it's, the first part of it replicates the um the magazine that nada is opening right so you have the pages like obey and buy do not question authority and it even has replicate replicates the magazine that he opens up as well when he doesn't wear the glasses and then it includes a bunch of different essays about Mm -hmm. the film from different people about the movie about the score about the political climate about all reaganomics all of that stuff i don't know if this is currently available, I'd have to search that. Um, but it actually has it has the short story that it's based on is oh, included cool. in this as well, wow. as well as the comic book adaption is included in this. Damn. So it's it's fantastic. I bought this years ago, and in oh. traditional Chris Scalzo fashion, I never opened it, uh, but I cracked it open for the show, and I've been reading. I'm about I'm almost done with it at this point. 
But there's so many great little essays and so much great stuff about the making of the film and the times so as cool. well. Um, the feature, the, the makeup effect. I mean, just lots of great stuff. So if you can pick, find it all, it's basically just They Live. It's put out originally by Rough Trade Books. Mm-hmm. Um, I highly recommend it. It's just really cool if you're a fan oh of the gosh. film. This is like the third episode of this season where we've had a book recommendation during our movie <laughs> podcast. Yeah, I'm yeah. so fucking proud of us. It's never been me, though. It's never been my book recommendation. But I'm proud of us anyway. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. That's that's super cool. We'll post photos. I will. Cool. All right. Anything else? Let's talk about our favorite performance. Okay. Okay. Chris. Who goes first, boss? I do? You do. You do. Who gives your favorite performance and they live? It's Piper. <laughs> it's, 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 it's Roddy Piper. It has it to Roddy be. Piper. I mean, it, <laughs> I just, just it lives subtle. and dies with him. Yeah, yeah it it's just his body language, his emotes, everything. I, I'm really just, I'm really, I think when I was younger, I kind of just dismissed it. Kind of like, oh, he's not terribly good. And I will say that there are some, I think, Robert, you pointed this out. The script isn't terribly consistently strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe <laughs> Piper maybe struggle a little bit here and there. But overall... Um, like you said, Juan, the, the film rests on his shoulders. He's in almost every scene, basically. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, he's he has that rough, rugged, everyman quality to him. And that's basically what makes the film work. Yeah. Yeah. And a really there was, there was, solid mullet. There was a hot minute where I was like, I wonder if it's going to be Keith David. Because Keith David, always a good decision. Every Fantastic. time you put Keith David in something, yeah. you're like... He always stands out as one of the best things of every everything that he's in. But yes. then watching this movie, I'm like, we don't get enough Keith David in certain pe- parts of this film. I give him huge props for the fight yes. sequence for not oh, being a yeah. not being a wrestler and holding his own against Roddy Piper. But ultimately, yeah, it is it is Roddy Piper. You dirty motherfucker! That's right. <laughs> See, there you go. That's <laughs> that 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 alone. Like you got to give him some props for that. But um. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's Roddy Piper. I mean, I feel like it's mm-hmm. it's it's kind of unavoidable that he carries this movie, like you said. Like it, with it, without him, this just wouldn't work. Like it's it's a crazy, ambitious idea, <laughs> and in the wrong hands, if you don't have the right hero for us to latch on to, it it falls flat. And would yeah. Kurt Russell have worked in this movie? Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. What would you? What, yeah, if it was Russell, I mean, what do you think? I mean. Kurt Russell would work in most movies, so I would think. I, I mean, I think he could do it, but I don't think it would. I don't know. I don't think it would have the. It would. It would be a different movie. Yeah, I don't think it, it would. would it, yeah, I, yeah, because he brings the history that he has with John Carpenter to this movie as right. well. So it's. I think it's it's best that he he shook things up a little bit and gave yes. Roddy Piper this one. I I agree. I think. I mean, Roddy Piper gives best performance in the film um honorable mention again to keith david but i i don't think it would be as good with kurt russell which is not a thing that i often would say um i just i I think he's pretty great but it just for this role in particular it's it couldn't be kurt russell it wouldn't be right it wouldn't Hmm. it wouldn't mesh with what you've already seen him do with carpenter like it would just mm mm-mm and no. I, I agree, and I also think, I th- honestly, I think Car- I think Russell is too good looking. I think you want somebody who I don't know if I think Roddy has an ability not to, you know, stomp all over a, a dead guy's look. So I you know, respectfully, but I think Russell's <laughs> too pretty. 
And I think yeah. that Piper has that kind of beaten down kind of look to him. You, you look at his face and that's a guy who's been through some shit. Yeah. And uh, I think that, yeah, really adds to this character. Yeah, I agree. But we'll, we'll throw that shit on Twitter. We'll ask, we'll ask y'all what you think. So I just made a note. So we'll do that. Look at you. Follow us on Twitter. You'll see it. Are we ready to rate this film on our synth scale? I think so. Yeah. Do you have a synth for me? Who me? Yeah, who, you. Who, who are we asking? I'm looking at the count. <laughs> I'm looking at the um the ratings right now. I wasn't actually looking at both of your lovely visages, so I apologize. That's um, rude. How dare you? Look into my eyes. Sweet. I like it too. In the original story, he actually is—he's seeing a hypnotist. Yes. And then he wakes up from the hypnotist, wakes him up, and that's the uh, triggering event yeah. that wakes him up. This is uh, way cooler. Sunglasses. <laughs> way cooler. All right, Chris, just take a stand, would you? Just make a decision. <laughs> I'm gonna go. F- I'm gonna go in four cents. I keep vacillating four? between four okay. and four and a half, but yeah. I, I guess yeah, I'm gonna the go whole four. no quarter synth is really tough. It really, yeah. really holds you back, but it's what we have to do. Yep. It's science. So, so four, four cents for you, Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, you do not have to feel bad because I am gonna give it four and a half cents. Okay. So that we can we can boost up that average, Robert. What is your synth? I'm going, I was like Chris, I was four, four and a half. I think I'm going to go four also. Okay. I I think, yeah, I think it's, it's not. It's not perfect. Not, not, yeah, it's not perfect. There, it's not the, uh, the top shelf carpenter, but it's like kind of what Chris was saying about the score. It's like top middle shelf uh, (laughs) carpenter. It's like, and it has so many good ideas and it executes them mostly successfully i think yep. and it has yeah. aged really well i mean if anything else yes. I feel like this movie has gotten stronger with age over yeah. over the time and uh you know I'm, i say this as someone who's only seen it for the first time in the last few years <laughs> so chris, chris do you feel that do you feel like this movie watching it now you're just like oh this is much better than it was when i was a kid i do i do yeah. i think that i was a little dismissive of i loved it but i think because that i just love 80s stuff generally but i agree yeah. with you i think it has aged exceptionally well and yeah. um, it is better than I remember watching it when I was a kid. Absolutely. Plus, now you're part of the system. Versus that's true. Kid, I am. I am the man now. So yeah. I think I'm rating it a little higher than you guys because it's so new to me, and so I'm like, still having my mind blown a little bit. <sighs> yeah. So I'm still like, what the fuck? You're you're picking up random magazines and newsstands, be like, hell no, I will not <laughs> obey and consume. So you think this. this is better than The Fog and Escape from New York by a whole synth? I do. I do think that. Yeah. Because, again, Escape from New York did not do it for me the way I thought that it would. It was cooler in concept than it was in execution. And The Fog, as much as I enjoyed it, it just, like, fell off at the end. It just was like, we have to stretch this. And nothing was happening for a really long time. It was just Adrian Barbeau on a roof and just hands and just <laughs> just kept going. So, I would be fine with Adrian Barbeau on a roof. I'd be fine with Adrian Barbeau in a boat. I'd be fine with Adrian Barbeau in a tree. Uh, whichever. Dr. Seuss. In a box with a fox. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I wouldn't mind Adrian Barbeau with me. Yes. Aww, to go with the tree. Poetry. Nice. poetry. Okay. It's our last little segment here which is unique to season three of screen run where we rate each film based on how many fucks john carpenter gave about the making of the film and this fuck scale is on a zero to ten 
uh, instead of one to five. So that's the scale we're working with here. Uh, Chris, how many fucks did John Carpenter give about They Live? Dieci. We're back at the top. This is a 10. I think that he had a lot to say in this film, and this was his outlet to do it. And uh, he's all in on this. It's Things are going to change shortly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is, a, this, is a 10, this is a 10 spot. Yeah, I, I agree. I, it's a full-on 10. He's making a statement. He's making a brutally relevant statement that grows with relevance in time. And... Uh, He's doing it well. Um, Robert, what do you think? How many fucks? I, I feel like I want to knock a fuck off because he <laughs> <laughs> because he, he he's because he goes he has a pseudonym on the screenplay credit. So I'm like, correct. What do you what are you hiding behind, John? Like, well, yeah. there's a reason. Like, what what you was may the not, reason then? Let so me hear yeah, that. Robert, we may not have gotten yeah. to that episode yet, but um, yeah. <laughs> it's what it's Christine, right? Where he basically when they were pushing promoting christine it was john carpenter's christine directed by john carpenter with music mm-hmm. by john carpenter produced written by john by carpenter written by john he's like god i'm i'm an arrogant prick so from that <laughs> point on he didn't want his name like repeated in the credits like that over and over and over again so right. that's why okay. one of the reasons why he started going with a, a pseudonym yeah okay. i th- i find it really right. odd that he just keeps running through pseudonyms. He's yeah. just like next one. Like he, it's all he, people from his past too, right? For the most part, it's a it's um a, a lot of references to like sci fi films that he grew right. up loving. Um, right. so it's like character names from that. So yeah, that's kind of what he's doing. But to the, does the check go to Frank <laughs> or <laughs> to uh, Armitage? Like, does point. the check say that, or does the check yeah. go? Carp stole cash in those bad bears. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, some sneaky business there, but I was so I was tempted to do nine fucks because of that. Yeah, but considering what you guys have in store for you next, I'm gonna say ten fucks because <laughs> he just used all the fucks up here, and then he's got an empty bag of fucks I, after this. So. He could be. <laughs> he could he's be. got, I think, one more film that is uh, considered. Nice. No spoilers, Chris. Right, yeah, I haven't yeah. seen anything else that we have okay. to discuss this this season, and um, we've got we've got well, some great too, guests coming up later in the season okay. who are big fans of the films that they will be discussing with Ooh, us. So that will be fun because I haven't seen any of them, and Chris keeps making some faces. Sorry so. about that. Yeah, <laughs> we have two left that I have not seen. One of them is, is our next episode, Ooh. which is Memoirs of an Invisible Man. I have never seen it. Uh-uh. And then uh, the ward, <laughs> I have not seen. I have seen okay. everything else. It's gonna, nice. it's gonna be an interesting journey as we continue on. But this has been a wonderful journey this evening. Thank you for joining us, Robert. Yay. You're welcome. Everyone, remember <laughs> they they still live. They're out there. Live. They want us to sleep and sedated, not to get political, but uh, you know, but it's true. It's kind of hard not to. <laughs> so uh, remind all our fine folks at home where they can listen to your podcast, find you on the socials, all those fun things. Yeah. If you want to hear more of me talking about how humanity is doomed, you can hear me talk about the Planet of the Apes movies on Franchise Detours, or you can hear uh, the Lady Juan and I talk about In the Heights and other episodes on movie musicals on Close Watch. Both of those shows are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, uh, and other podcatchers as well as CrookedTable.com. And I am on Twitter at CrookedTable. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you bringing that hot Kaka. tonight. It was uh, <laughs> good stuff. So thank you. Yeah, Robert. thank you guys for having me. This was a blast. 
Yes. So everybody go follow Robert on Twitter, download his shows, listen to all of the things. I, I, I love that we, we brought this to you at a time when you're deep in the doomed planet. I know. Um, just an, another fun night for you <laughs> um, as humanity continues to struggle. So thank you. Thank you again for, for being with us. Um, Folks, you can follow us on Twitter at Screen Run. I am at the Lady One. Chris is at CG Scalzo. You can find us anywhere the podcasts are. Uh, please leave us a rating, review, five stars, pretty please. And uh, we'll be back next time discussing the aforementioned memoirs of an invisible man. Thank you, everybody. Take care of yourselves. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening to us. And uh, Ronnie and I will see you in the movies. You bet you may. You'll be a half an hour in heaven before the devil knows you're dead. Why didn't Maybe, you play? Is your sound on? <laughs> it was. All right. Leave the text app because if you're on the screen, it won't alert you. Okay. Ready? Like that. Try it again. This is oh, ridiculous. Man. It happened. I got a text today and it did it. I don't know what the hell's wrong with my phone. They're watching you, Chris. That's what's happening.